Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm a part of the core community at CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. I've been part of CMYK for a few years now, and I absolutely love how it's affected my life. It's changed how I approach spirituality. Um, It's just so refreshing. I love it. But before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do at CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and to give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. And with that, let's jump into this week's talk. Um, tonight, uh, as we jump into it, we're wrapping up a series that we've been in the last few weeks that's simply entitled Whole. And as you probably know, um, more than just kind of focusing on a verse or two, as can traditionally be the case in spaces and environments like this in the scriptures, and you kind of uh, find meaning or application from that specific verse or idea, what we're choosing to do with this series is to really look holistically at the scriptures, particularly when it comes to the stories of Christ, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and asking the question, what do these stories of Christ speak on a holistic level? So not just a story of Jesus, but the story of Jesus. How does that help and tie into specifically our invitation into wholeness? It's one of the things that we believe at CMYK, and it's the reason that we would choose to tap into and lean into this thing called Christ, because we believe that there's wholeness for our humanity and who we are to be found on that path and within that invitation. And specifically within this series, to look at each book and understand that it comes from a specific group of people at a specific time in a specific place that are dealing with things. They're dealing with a reality of their world and that these gospel texts are not just created in a vacuum, but they're actually invitations to wrestle with whatever it is those people are wrestling with. That these stories of Jesus were written to a community of people to say, I see that this is happening. Here's a story of Christ. Here's a gospel, some good news to help you process what you're going through. And as it's the last week of this series, I think it's important to remember that we started this series looking at the gospel of Matthew and understanding that there's a community of people in Antioch at the time. This is quickly after the turn of the century. And they are in this place where they are experiencing change. Their temple has been destroyed. The thing that they believed was never going to go away. They were never going to have to face a life without this thing. That all of a sudden it's gone. And they're dealing with a change that they never desired, they never wanted, they never actually hoped for. But here it is. And the question at the core of the Gospel of Matthew is this community of people asking, how do we face change? How do we go through this? Because we don't want to. And what's the process for that? And the Gospel of Matthew, the story of Christ, is an invitation to be present in the midst of that change. That's how we face change in a beautiful Christ-like way. From there, we talk about this Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, again, it's a group of people in Rome this time, and they are incredibly persecuted by the Roman Empire. And they find themselves in this space where they are fearful for their own lives. They're fearful that their own friends and family are going to point them out, and because of their following of Christ, their Christianity, they're going to be dragged out into the streets, stoned and murdered in front of the whole town to see. 
And it's in this fear, this suffering, that they're asking the question, how do we move through this? How do we process this? This isn't what we wanted. And so this question at the core of Mark is an invitation, the story of Christ, to say there's a way to move through suffering, to not get caught, to not get stuck, to not find yourself forever in this place of woe is me, this is just my life. Suffering is a part of our lives, yes, but how do we move through it? And this is what the Gospel of Mark, the story of Christ, is about. And at the end of the day that we land on this place of suffering is found, you move through it when you and I are willing to be honest. And then a few weeks ago, Seth talked about this concept of, uh, that's found in the Gospel of John, a community of people that's wrestling with, okay, they've experienced change, they've experienced suffering. Is there a place to experience and receive joy again? In a world that's changed, in a world that's different, in a belief system that's been challenged, and all of a sudden you're not quite sure how to go about things anymore. In a plurality of things are not black and white like you used to think that they are. How do we go about this? And the invitation within the Gospel of John is you can receive joy. And to do that, you and I must learn to be open. Well, if you are good at math, as I started at the beginning, there are four Gospels. So that means that we've got one more Gospel to talk about. And it's found within this text of the Gospel of Luke. Now, what's important to note is the Gospel of Luke, just like all the other Gospels, we're not sure that we know that we know that we know who actually wrote these texts. And what we think when it comes to the Gospel of Luke is there's really one of two camps that this text was written to. One is that there was a specific individual that Luke, or the writer of this text, is writing these stories of Christ to. There's a possibility to that when you look at some of the language. But more and more scholars are starting to look at the language, what was happening currently in history, and and starting to point out, I think this is just like all the other Gospels, actually written to a community of people. And the community of the people that we find this text actually arise out of is the city of Antioch, which is the same city and the same community of people that the Gospel of Matthew came out of. But what's important to note is that the Gospel of Luke actually is written about 10 years after the Gospel of Matthew. So 10 years have passed. And 10 years of going through this process of them facing change, of them walking through suffering, of them working to be open in this new reality and experience that they're having. And here we are 10 years later, and the Gospel of Luke begins to arise out of this. And the question, the thing that they're dealing with, is all of a sudden, where Matthew and this community in Antioch was dealing with change. The temple is destroyed. Rome is oppressing us. And we're seeing our faith. It's being come against. What do we do in that? All of a sudden, 10 years later, things have changed dramatically for this community. Because at the core of the Christian faith has always been this Judaism. The Jews were the people that we see the life of Christ come out of. And the Jewish people were a community, and they were the ones that were being oppressed by Rome, yes. But what begins to happen is within Judaism, we see there's this line that starts to be drawn in the sand, that there are people that are traditionally Jewish people, and there are people within the Jewish faith that are choosing to align themselves with the teachings and the life of Christ. They're followers of Christ, followers of the way. Messianic Jews would be a statement and phrase you could bring to them. And what we find is that the traditional Jews are looking at these Messianic Jews, these followers of Christ, and they're starting to draw a line in the sand and say, you are not one of us. You are not a part of this thing. And even though we have the same heritage, even though we have the same family, even though we come from the same place, you are no longer in this 
community with us like you were. And what we see is they begin to actually persecute these followers of Christ. They begin to work to discredit them, to throw them in prison, to call them heretics, to say, you can't believe that. You can't think that. You can't act like that. This is not Okay, so where Matthew is dealing with a community of people where Rome is coming against them, all of a sudden we see this separation within Judaism that these people are asking the question, how can I be someone that's living in the midst of my own family, looking at this journey that I've been on, this experience, this invitation of Christ towards wholeness that I've been on, and how do I actually find myself interacting with these people that are now rejecting me want nothing to do with me and say that I'm in the wrong. It's an interesting space to find your life. That all of a sudden you were in this community, this space, you grew up there. And life happens, progress happens, change, suffering, openness takes place in our lives and we feel like we're moving towards wholeness. But yet the space that we came from, friends, family, they don't know what to do with us. And we feel like we are being rejected, torn down, belittled, and cast out. And this is the space that we find the people in Antioch with the Gospel of Luke. And the question for them, and the question for some of us, is how do we respond to this? And how do we respond to it in a mature way? Because if this path has been about wholeness up to this point, how do we respond in a mature way? Because we all know what the immature way to respond to somebody that disagrees with us is, don't we? You stick your tongue out at them, and you say they're dumb, and they're stupid, and you just say it louder. You have better jokes to come against them. You belittle them. You tear them down. We all know how to bring destruction when it comes to somebody that's coming against us. We don't know how that feeling of tribalism and our ego stepping in when we interact with somebody that maybe believes differently, thinks, votes differently than us. We know how to respond in immaturity. But the question at the core of the Gospel of Luke is, is there a mature approach to this? Is there a mature response to this? And particularly when they look at the life of Christ, the question is this, how do we mature in service? If the life of Jesus is one of breaking yourself open, pouring yourself out for the suffering of the world, how do we find ourselves in maturity, turning to these people that want nothing to do with us, that are rejecting us, that are looking to belittle and take us down? How do we actually turn and serve them in a mature way that shows this wholeness that we are going after? And for many of you, this isn't going to be a surprise, but the response within the Gospel of Luke, we believe and we find to be this, to be loved, to be someone that can receive love and to be somebody that is loving, to be the embodiment of love. This is the invitation at the, in the Gospel of Luke. But the question for us tonight, just like it has been every week, when we look at these things of being present, being honest, being open, and being the embodiment of love, the question is, okay, those can be really vague terms. What does that look like? And so it's why we've taken the weeks that we've taken to answer these questions. What does the gospel actually define for us? Because it could be a really, really short book if that's all it was. You know, Jesus is just, it's not, you know, it's not a book anymore, the gospel of Luke. It's a three by five card that he's just handing out. There's beloved, and that's what it is. But there's these stories of Christ that invite us into a specific idea of what it means to be someone that's loving and to be loved in return. 
And so that's where we got to go tonight, and we got to talk about this gospel of Luke. What does it mean to be the embodiment of love? And to start things off, I want to look at the first time that Jesus is on the scene publicly as any sort of communicator and any sort of teacher. It's found in Luke chapter 4, and this is what we see. It says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophets Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say them to them, to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is, is this not Joseph's son? That's how I interpret what's happening there. That there are people, because this is Jesus going back to his hometown, and they're looking at what Jesus does. He quotes this text within Isaiah that is very well known within his culture, within his people group. And it's this passage of scripture that they are longing for. They're hoping to see become reality someday. And Jesus reads this text and then says, this thing that you're longing for, this thing that you're looking for and that you desire, guess what? It is fulfilled. It is being fulfilled today in your midst. Boom, mic drop, sit down. This is the moment. And the response for the people in the room is like, wait a second, who does this guy think he is? You're, you're, you're Joseph's son. Like, we saw you were, in a, you were a baby. Like, you pooped your pants. We all saw that. Like, this is not something that you get to show up, because we know you, because we have history with you, that you get to show up and say, ta-da, check this out. Because, no, we know who you really are, Jesus. You don't get to say that. But at the core of what Jesus is doing is he's stepping into a space and environment where it, there is this perception that this thing is not here. And Jesus stepping into it and saying, no, there's actually something here. And my work and my involvement in this thing is actually to bring the thing that you think is not here to actually be here. In other words, I believe in this moment we're seeing that to be the embodiment of love means to understand that love creates. Love is looking at a space where something is not currently seen, experienced, understood, whatever it is, and that to be an embodiment of love is to be somebody that steps into that space and works to create, to bring that thing into being. Whether that's within a relationship, within a family, in your job, or within your city. That there would be this desire for something to be found, just like this text within Isaiah. We long to see this day. And to be someone that is embodying love means that you step into that space and you begin to speak, begin to move, you begin to act to see that thing there, to create. But again, these people are going, wait a second. This is Jesus. We know you. You can't do this. And they actually have this response because Jesus doubles down on this and says, no, this, this is actually a thing. Like, this is happening, and I don't want you to miss it. And Jesus begins to speak about the reality that they might miss it. And their response to that is this. It says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled 
with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow on the hill on which their town was built. So they might throw him down the cliff. You think you've had a bad Thanksgiving dinner. But passing through their midst, he went away. The people that Jesus grew up around, they cannot perceive that this is actually going to be found. And their only response is one of rejection and to tear him down. I really believe that to be the embodiment of love is to be somebody that looks into your communities, into your families, and is willing to step in to create something that doesn't currently exist or isn't currently experienced. And we all have experienced potentially those moments where someone looks at what we're trying to create, what we're trying to bring in love to the table. And they look at you and they say, that's not who you are. You can't do that. You think you can pull that off? You think you can make that happen? And I'm not even talking giant scale. We're going to create this new organization, do this crazy big thing. But just something on a basic relational level, showing up to be present with someone, look them in the eye and be the embodiment of love to be somebody that says, this isn't you. You can't do this. Or how many of us know, even in our own hearts and minds, there's this desire for us to be a loving presence in a relationship, the community around us. But there's this voice, just like the voices here that are saying, that's not going to go well. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? You would step, you would step forward and you would try to create. You would try to bring this thing into existence that doesn't currently exist. You're not a creative person. Just sit back down. Stop trying to bring something new to the table. Just let be what has always been. But love at its core, I believe, is this willingness to do what we see Jesus do, to step into those spaces and to say, no, there's something here. And I want to be somebody that's inviting you to see it, to be a part of it, because that's what I want my life to be about. From there, we see the text of Luke move. And Jesus begins to teach and speak and perform some miracles. And there's this moment in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus tells this story about prayer. And there's different teachings in prayer on, on prayer throughout all of the Gospels. But there's this unique story that we, found in the, we find in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus tells this story about a man who's in his home and in the middle of the night, some guests knock on the door and ask to stay at his home. And, and there's this Jewish custom that hospitality is really significant and important. So he opens the door to them and invites them in. And part of inviting someone into your home wasn't just like, yeah, you can come in here and get warm, but it was actually that you would prepare a meal for them. You would offer true hospitality in every way that you could. So this man invites his guests in. He starts going through his cupboards, and he realizes, I don't have anything to give them, and this is not okay in their custom. So he decides, he goes to his neighbor's house and knocks on the door. It's midnight in this story that Jesus is telling. He knocks on the door in the middle of the night, and the, his neighbor comes to the door says, what is going on? You've woken up my whole family. Why are you here? And this man explains, I need bread. I have guests, and I don't have any bread. Can you give me some bread? And the man replies, his neighbor replies, and says, this is a crazy request, and I want to say no. 
But because of the audacity of you coming over here at midnight, because of your willingness to ask in your moment of need, I will grant your request. And he gives the man bread. Jesus is painting this picture of prayer as being an interaction where you and I are willing to ask and have audacious requests and to live a life where we are willing to go there and to ask for things. Now, this might not sound too connected to the idea of love, but I think it's really significant when we think about what love is. And if this is what the story of the Gospel of Luke is about, how you and I embody love, I think we must understand and see there's something behind the story that love is something that asks and is willing to ask audaciously. It seems basic, but how many of us have grown up in a home or grown up in a culture and environment where we feel belittled when we have to ask for something. And we live our lives working really, really hard not to have to ask anybody for anything. And Jesus is inviting this interaction that's this loving relationship between us and the Father, us and the divine, and us and each other where love is something that is willing to look someone in the eye and ask. One of the things that I've experienced as a father, I have two kids, a four-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter, is I've become to realize, as an infant, we all grow up in this state and this environment where Everybody around us, the grown-up's job around us is to anticipate our needs. And because as an infant, we are not able to communicate properly whatever it is that we need, the grown-ups in the room are the ones that are always working hard to say, what do you need, what do you need, what do you need, and trying to bring that before it's ever asked because we can't ask. So the question for my daughter is, okay, what's happening? She doesn't really have very many words, so she just, uh, 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 a lot. And so that words can mean a lot of different things. And so what's going on, Margo? Did you poop your pants? Are you wet? Do you need, you know, are you cold? Are you hot? Do you need some food? Do you need some water? Do you need some milk, candy? You want more candy? Okay, here's some more candy. And you just shove candy, more and more candy, and it works great every time. But she is not able to actually physically communicate what she needs. It's my job as the grown-up in the room to figure that out for her and to bring that to the table. In fact, she <laughs> this is probably because it's my daughter and I don't really know what I'm doing with a female in the house, and I spend so much time and energy just bringing everything out of the cupboards and everything out of the fridge to put on the table to try and feed her. Well, do you want some avocado? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? Because I'm, so, I'm working so hard to anticipate whatever you need. Here it is, right here, right here in this moment. In fact, a few nights ago, this is what I've just, uh, you know, this is what I do now. I just set her in front of the fridge. This is at 1 a.m. a few nights ago. Just like, whatever you need, because I don't know. And she doesn't know either. So we literally pulled everything out of the fridge, and she, we're just trying everything. Because that's, that's my job. But here's what I know. I know the tendency. I grew up as an infant like that, just like you did, with grown-ups that were anticipating your needs and working to figure them out for you. I know what it's like to be a grown-up and to still live in that infantile state where I look at the close relationships around me. I look at my wife, and I expect her to do the same thing that was done for me when I was a 12-month-old. That if you love me, Kate, you know what I need before I ask. You know what I want and what I desire, and you're working to bring that to the table. And there's something I think really important and profound where Jesus is communicating this idea of love, that love asks. 
Love communicates. Love is something that does not live in this infantile state of everybody's here to serve me and I'm just waiting for someone to show up and do that. But love is willing to step up, to look someone in the eye and to say, this is what I need. I need this. And we live in a culture where that's not common and that's uncomfortable for many of us. And we feel like that's losing, to be honest about our needs. But Jesus paints this picture, the scriptures paint this picture, that love is found in this space where you're willing to ask. Because we are grown-ups, and we're willing to communicate whatever that need is. And some of us have not even spent the time and the energy in our own hearts and minds to think about, what do I need? And to think through and process, if someone were to ask me that question, would I have an answer to that? I'm not saying we always need to be in a state of, you need, here's my list, 10 things. But have we actually done the work as grown-ups to not just anticipate that someone else is going to come along, but to say, this is what I need. And then to do the loving act of stepping forward and asking somebody. Have we done the loving act to ask somebody what they need and to be in a space, just like Jesus tells this story of prayer, you want bread at midnight? Love is responding to that request. Not responding in such a way that's, man, go get your own bread. Walmart's open 24 hours. I don't know what your problem is. And having all the reasons why you are uncomfortable that they asked. But to be in a position of love is to be in a place where you know you're going to be asked and that that's okay. It doesn't mean we always do everything exactly how someone would want, but that we are not bothered by, we're not frustrated by, we're not exhausted by the request. We just understand this is what love is. It asks. I'm working to love and to be loved. And it always asks. From there, I think it's significant that Jesus moves on. And he tells this story again. And it's in response to a question that's specifically around this concept of love. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And, Jesus, and he answered, this man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And this man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And Jesus moves into this story that many of us have heard multiple times of the good Samaritan. This man is beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And there's three people that pass by. One is a Levite. He's a leader in his people. He's the significant one that everybody looks at. He's got it going on. He has the favor of God on his life. And this man is too busy, and he just passes by. There's a priest. He's a religious leader. He's the one that, you know, does all the right things all the time. And he's got, two, he's got big stuff happening in his life. He doesn't have time, so he passes by. And then Jesus brings in this third character. 
And for us, we've heard this story of the Good Samaritan that has so many other things attached to it. But for Jesus and his original audience, a Samaritan was someone that did not think, did not act, did not believe, did not live the life that they thought was worthy or good or right. They were the outsider, the enemy in many ways. In fact, there was a custom in a culture that if a Jew was going to travel from uh, one end of their country to the other, they would have to pass through Samaria. And they didn't want to do that, so they would on foot go around a country, go around an area. Like I have trouble going around a block sometimes if it's not the shortest way. But they despised these people so much. They were the enemy so much that they would go around. And Jesus tells this story. Yeah, that person that you hate, that person that you think is not even worthy of going through their area. He's the one. He's the neighbor. He's the one that gets it. And he shows up. And he gives. And the story goes, not that the Samaritan knelt down and patted the guy that just got beat up on the, on the back and says, it's going to be okay, bro. Pray for you. Good job. And he moves on. But as we know, the story is, no. Picks him up, takes him to a place where he can find healing and rest, pays for all of his needs and says, I'm going to return and make sure that he has everything that he needs to continue on. I think it's significant that Jesus is talking about, okay, love is this thing that asks, but love is also this thing that acts. Now, again, this might seem really simple and basic, but how many of us know and have experienced a love that is simply a philosophical, lives in the brain, lives in the heart kind of love? That when you think about everybody, you think about your enemy, you think about people that, again, think differently than you, believe differently than you, vote differently than you, But the tendency is to say, I love everybody, man. I don't have a problem with anyone. But the question that I think this gospel would invite us to ask, the question that Christ would ask is, okay, so how are you actually acting on that? What are you actually doing? Because love is not something that just exists in the heart or exists in the head. It's a tangible work in the world. It's seeing your enemy. It's seeing someone that you have rejected that you think maybe even deserves it on the side of the road. And you are somebody that ends a place that's saying, I'm willing to act. I'm willing to do. I'm willing to give of myself in this space what's needed. And I know I know what it's like to live a life driven by emotion and thought. I love everybody. And I continually need to find myself asking the question, what am I doing to tangibly act? To replicate this story that Jesus tells on prayer of someone asks for bread and I'm willing to give bread. To replicate this story of someone is in need in my community, in my city, and I don't just pass by, but I actually work to help, to serve, and to give. But here in need of somebody, and maybe he's on the outside in my mind, and I work hard to say, okay, how do I put my arm around them and tangibly give them what they need and what they desire? Because love acts. It isn't just found in the head. It isn't just found in the heart. It's actually found in how we live in the world. Towards the end of the gospel, there's this interaction that Jesus has with his follower, Simon Peter. And Jesus has foretold the fact that he's about to be arrested, put on trial, crucified. Something's coming. Conflict is coming. And Jesus has this interaction with Simon Peter. 
where he kind of points towards something. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, that you would strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny him three times that you know me. Again, some of us have heard the story, but this is a moment right before Jesus is arrested. What ends up happening is Jesus is arrested and Peter ends up following Jesus in his trial. And there's these three moments, three distinct moments where people ask Peter, hey, aren't you the guy that was with Jesus, the guy that's on trial? And Peter ends up doing what Jesus foretold. He denies Christ three times. Now, many times what's talked about and what's seen in this moment is Peter fails. And there's a, that's a hard thing. But I think it's significant that here Jesus is pointing towards the failure and pointing towards, hey, this is coming. But Jesus doesn't talk about it in such a way from the very beginning as something that is a discredit to Peter in any way. But he simply communicates and says, okay, there's going to be a failure. There's going to be a problem and things aren't going to go the way that you want them to go. Because Peter's very clear, I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to do this. I'm sticking with you. But Jesus is clear. There's, something's going to happen that you don't want to see happen. But my hope, what does he say? That when you have turned again, that you would strengthen your brothers. That you would be somebody that is able to pick yourself up from whatever failure is in front of you and continue to be this embodiment of love. That this is what the goal is. And I think it's significant and important, and it's not talked about enough, that here is Jesus in this moment where he is arrested. And right now he's got 11 followers. He had 12, but one of them, you know, is the one responsible for the arresting. So we'll just say he's out. So he's got 11 followers at this time. And what we know, according to the Gospel of Luke, is that 10 of those guys are out. They run. And only one is found working to stay close to Jesus' side. In fact, it's in the Gospel of Luke alone that we see when Peter denies Jesus, that Jesus actually looks and sees Peter, they have eye contact. In other words, Peter stayed close. He's working hard to do the thing that he said he was going to do. But he still fails. And Christ, from the very beginning, knows this is coming. In other words, I think it's important to note when it comes to working to be the embodiment of love, that love is willing to fail. Many of us, again, if love is this creative force, there's something that's not here, not seen, not perceived, and you're working to be this creative force in the world. Many of us know what it's like to not actually pursue that, to not speak of it, to not be somebody that is acting or asking, doing these things of love, because we're afraid it's going to fail. We're afraid it's not going to go very well. We're afraid to bring up that conversation, to bring that creative work with that significant other, let's say, and to talk about that. Because we're afraid, what if it doesn't go the way that I want it to go? We're afraid to put our hands and actually help someone and give someone something and serve someone. Because what if it actually doesn't solve all their problems? And what if it actually makes things a little worse? And so it's with fear that many of us live in this state of just loving in our heads, loving in our hearts, and not actually acting in the world, not actually bringing this creative force into the world because we don't want to fail. And I think it's significant that the Gospel of Luke says, no, this is actually a part of the equation. 
This is actually a part of what this looks like. And it's an educated guess. Yes, you bring your head to it. Yes, you think it through. And yes, you try to do the best, most loving thing you can in the situation. But if it fails, it doesn't mean you're done. It doesn't mean it wasn't worth it. Jesus communicates to Peter, this is coming. This is a path that you're on. But my hope is that when you're done with it, you pick yourself back up and you go and strengthen your brothers. You continue to live this life of love because this is part of the deal. And that you and I would be willing to say the same thing and do the same thing. It's going to fail. Okay, it didn't go very well. Okay, the conversation did not land where I wanted it to go. Okay, what did I learn? How can I approach this differently next time? Because I'm here to be the embodiment of love. And the last thing this evening as we come to this table that I think this Gospel of Luke so beautifully communicates is this idea that love is only defined in community. More than any other Gospel, the Gospel of Luke has continually this presence of a meal. Ten times in the Gospel of Luke, either directly or indirectly, it's referenced that Jesus is having a meal. It's a transition point. It's a teaching point. Over and over and over again, Jesus is sharing a meal with people. And that this is, the way, this is where the work of this embodiment of love is found. It's community. It's people that you are choosing to do life with. And I think it's significant to note Because in our culture, we know what it's like to live in an isolated state. We have the idea of community. We have the perception of community. But we do not find ourselves around a table with people that maybe we agree with, but in Luke's context, people that we disagree with, people that disagree with us, people that think, vote, act, believe differently than us, and we're working to be the embodiment of love there because this is where love is lived out it's in these spaces of community not necessarily drop in look what i did and then i'm out but finding space where we can fail and just like peter come back and strengthen our brothers come back and strengthen those that we are choosing to do life with this whole um series for me has been pointing towards this night and this talk. And I'm not trying to hyperbolize this at all. But the reason I wanted to start with looking at the whole series is because it's important to note that this is a path and a journey towards maturity, towards wholeness. And that we go through these changes, we go through this suffering, we go through this work of being open so that we can return in service, so that we can mature in service, so we can be the embodiment of love. And my fear is that we as CMYK and that you as an individual would be somebody that would go through change, would go through suffering, that would go through this process, but would never actually take the step to go and be the embodiment of love. Because all of this has been a process to find wholeness that you and I would be able to be an impact in our communities, in our family, and in our city. And that's what this whole journey and process is about. Not that we sit around on a Sunday night and philosophize about what love looks like. Or what a Bible verse newly interpreted could be about. 
but that we are physically, tangibly living out this idea of being the embodiment of love and allowing ourselves to be loved as well. And that's only found in spaces of community, whether that's here or whether that's friends, family, elsewhere, that you would find your life in this place. Tonight we come to this table that people have been coming to for thousands of years. Christ's body broken and his blood shed. A body broken, poured out for the suffering of the world. And we choose to connect ourselves once again with this narrative and with this story. And wherever you are on this journey, change, suffering, working to be open, receive joy, or to be the embodiment of love, we believe that your story matters and that this thing points us towards wholeness and that does not end in and of itself, but it's meant for us to find living differently in our city, in our community, and in our world. All are welcome to this table. All are welcome to come, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and receive. And to join yourself with this story, to join yourself with this idea, and to understand you're not alone in it. And we're all in this together. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.